everyone. This is David. Welcome back behind the velvet rope. Let's just get right into it today because we are joined by, I mean, the amount of monikers that I could use for this person are so many. So let's just get right into it and discuss it. Miss Lisa Bloom. Hi. Hi. Hello. Thank you for having me, David. Well, thank you for being here. You were just showing me that you are in the country. You're not in New York anymore. You're in California and you're like with you're outside. Looks so nice. As I listen to sirens and like there's a jackhammer outside my window right now. Yeah, there's no jackhammers. There's no sirens here unless they're coming from me. God forbid. I live out in the country on the outskirts of L.A. County with coyotes and birds and rabbits everywhere. And it's you can hear some of the birds in the background. It's really nice living here. That sounds, did you see like the jealousy in my eyes just for a minute? Well, you can come visit anytime, David. Seriously. Well, I have to start by saying I don't practice anymore, but I too am a lawyer. So, you know, in the legal world, being a lawyer, you are an absolute icon, Lisa. And I am not just saying that. So like, it is like, thank you for doing this. It is just a pleasure to have you. Thank you. You're very kind. I mean that sincerely. Well, my first question is, what has it been like for you, you know, like the past year and a half, like during COVID, like has law, like what's going on? Well, you know, I run a law firm with a couple dozen people and, uh, you know, as a business owner, it was a major challenge as it was for all small business owners to just kind of steer the ship through this storm. But I, you know, in March of 2020, I was really concerned. I was concerned about practicing law in the pandemic when everybody had to go home and work remotely. I was concerned that courts would be closed. And, you know, we are plaintiff's attorneys. We represent victims of discrimination, harassment, and abuse only. We only get paid when we win. We do everything on a contingency. And if courts are closed and businesses are going bankrupt and people are getting out of settlements that they owe us, you know, this was going to be a very challenging time. But I am pleased to say 14 months later that my team worked beautifully from home. We have still gotten amazing results for our clients during the pandemic. Um, the, our Jeffrey Epstein clients, for example, we represented eight women who were victims of Jeffrey Epstein. We continued to fight for them and got great results for them and many others, which I can go into. So it's definitely been a challenging time uh, and I'm fully vaccinated and I'm ready to reemerge in the world. So I'm very optimistic about the future. Me too. I got my second shot last week. So <laughs> we're on, we're on the track. Feel- it is, you know, and it's funny because like, at least in New York, when I got my second one, it was dead. And I'm like, I asked, I'm like, I assume this is because I'm late to the party. And she's like, yeah, like a lot of, I mean, the, the, the difference between the first one and the second one, it was so quiet. Wow, because so. you're young too. So I guess the younger people, I don't know how it is there, but here the younger people came last in line and the younger people are not as interested in getting the vaccine, but everybody please do get the vaccine. If not for yourself, for people that you visit and you love, you don't want to be a disease vector and give it to them. We need to return to, to some normalcy. Well, and I know you have a daughter, Sarah, who has joined the family practice. She's joined the Bloom Firm. So, you know, as a mother, I mean, I understand you would, we would all love our children. I don't have children and they're not for me, but I understand people with children. You love your children, no matter what they do with their lives, but that must've been a proud moment for you. 
Of course it was, you know, I, my daughter had every choice in the world of where to work. Uh, she's a, you know, a graduate of top college, top, top law school. And I was very honored that she chose to work with me. And probably one of the highlights of my career was doing a couple of big sexual harassment trials with her in 2019, just before the pandemic. Um, one of which we won one of the biggest jury verdicts in California that year of any kind of case. Uh, and this was a sexual harassment case. It was $11 million verdict on behalf of a very worthy client. And Sarah, my daughter, worked so hard on that case with me, as, long as, as well as other members of my firm and our trial team. We did a second one that ended in a mistrial. That was frustrating, but we fight on in that case. So working with my daughter has been truly one of the great joys of my career. You're right. And what about, is this true? I mean, I know your son is a champion pole dancer. Is he yes. headed to law school? Is that true? He's in law school. He's oh, finishing he's his first year uh, right now at the University of Pennsylvania Law School. And he's working at the Sierra Club this summer. He wants to be an environmental lawyer, which I support 100%. Uh, because we need to protect our planet, especially from climate change. So, um, And yes, he's also a champion pole dancer. He's been a dancer for many, many years. He took up pole dancing. He was the U.S. men's national pole dancing champion. And then he went to Australia and he won their national competition. I had the great pleasure of being in the audience and cheering like a crazy person for him both times. So um, that's pretty cool. That is cool. I mean, I, I, when I read that, I also found him on Instagram and I'm like, wow, this looks, I mean, I can never do that, but it looked it's a yeah. skill, right? A huge skill. And it's a lot of hard work and discipline, kind of like ballet. You have to have tremendous control over your body. Completely. So, you know, being one of the top legal minds in the country, do your children turn to you? I mean, this resource is right there, or is it like, you know, you're a mom and like children, they don't necessarily need your advice on how to go about law or are they like, okay, we get it. And we're going to come right to you for advice. Well, you know, my son in law school has called me with some questions, of course, most of which I can't answer because it's been 35 years since I've been in law school and I'm very knowledgeable about my practice area, but I'm really not about riparian rights or, you know, real property, the areas that I don't practice in. I learned everything for the New York bar, past the New York bar, learned everything again for the California bar, past the California bar, and then really kind of filed away. I don't know about you. I think most lawyers do this. Everything that doesn't apply to my practice. So if I have to, I don't, I, honestly, it's like, it's like parents when we deal with our kids are taking calculus, you know, it's like, I, this is beyond me. So I don't think I've been all that helpful. I think I'm pretty good at legal writing and I've tried to give him, give him some pointers on legal writing. Um, but other than that, you know, I'm just mom and they're my kids and I love them and they're amazing. I get it. People ask me for legal advice. And I mean, at least you're Lisa Bloom and you, I mean, I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing anymore. You know, you remember like the big, the big topics, you know, like right. men's rayon. this is what like murder is and like just the big picture items and legal writing. And it teaches you to think a certain way. Right. And that's what I love. But when you get into the nitty gritty, I'm like, I'm not really the one that should be giving you any advice. I mean, I always say, here's my little secret, David, the reasonable person test that applies to almost everything. What would a reasonable person do in this situation? That's what you should do, right? Right. I mean, that is almost always the right answer legally. Just behave reasonably. Seriously. I'm like, I know a lot of lawyers I could refer you to, but I am not the one that you want. Yes. 
So before we get into your amazing career, which I have so many questions about, I have to say I had the pleasure of sitting down with your mother a few weeks ago. I was blown away. So, you know, what is it like having Gloria Allred as a mother? So it's been an amazing ride. We're very close. You know, we're only 20 years apart. So at this point, we're more like sisters and and good friends. And, you know, one of the upsides of the pandemic is she and I both stopped traveling. We used to always be jumping on planes and we didn't have as much time to see each other as I would have liked. Well, we've gotten to see each other a lot during the pandemic. I, we've seen each other at least once a week and had long talks and it's, we've, it's really brought us a lot closer. And I cherish that. And I know she does too. So my mom always raised me to think for myself, um, to do good in the world. Um, and everything else was kind of insignificant. You know, she didn't care that much about what I was wearing or how I did my hair or whether my home was tidy or, you know, she just cared about what was in my brain. And what was I reading? What was I thinking? What did I think about current events issues? That's mostly still what we talk about when we get together. And I tried to pass that on to my kids because I thought those were very good lessons. So I love my mom. She's a fearless fighter. She's an inspiration to me. She's relentless. You do not want to be on the other side of a case from her. It's just not going to go well for you. You might as well just give up at the beginning (laughs) because she's not going to give up. And I admire that about her. And I try to emulate that. That was one of the questions I asked her. I was like, you know, what do people say when, you know, they're like, so who's the attorney on the other side? And people are like, it's Gloria Allred. I would assume you just give up at that point and figure it out. Yeah, well, they don't. I mean, people say that about me too. Yeah, well, I was going to say- they fight like crazy. Uh, you know, when you sue the rich and powerful, which is what I do every day and send demand letters accusing people of sexual assault. And, you know, they do not just roll over, believe me. Uh, they will often fight like crazy. They'll go after me personally. They sue me. They do everything that they can think of. They often will make me the villain. I just said this to a defense attorney last week. I know you need to find an alternate villain and you think it's me, but I assure you, I am representing clients here. They're the ones that have these claims. I am just here fighting for them. And if I got hit by a truck tomorrow, another attorney would step in. So this is really not about me, but they will often try to make it be about me. And I think they do the same thing for my mom. I would think so too. Is that like the mindset, like when you go after like, and we're going to get into some of your cases, like a Jeffrey Epstein, a Bill Cosby, you know, is it? Cause like, I remember even in like seeing all red, which I mean, this is chat is not about your mother, but like, I remember that scene about with Bill Cosby, where he was just like, strike that and get out of here. Like, is that it? Like the arrogance, like I have so much money or I'm so famous, like I'm untouchable. Is that what's in a lot of these people's minds? Yeah, and I represented the model Janice Dickinson against Bill Cosby. We litigated yes. that case for four years and ultimately got a huge win for her, which I was so proud of because that was a really hard case from the beginning. We went up on appeal twice. We got two reported appellate decisions, uh, strengthening the rights of rape victims in California. Went all the way up to the U.S. Supreme Court at one point. I was so proud of that. And yes, he fought like hell. And by the way, at the beginning... A lot of people took Bill Cosby's side. A lot of people said the women were all liars and greedy and making it up. And, you know, I faced that in every case. I I represented four women against Paul Marciano and Guess. He's a a board member and uh, one of the founders of Guess, a very high-ranking executive there. I represented four women accusing him of sexual misconduct in 2018. He stepped down. He came back in 2019. 
and I represent another group now, you know, they're fighting very hard. They're trying to force my client into arbitration. We argued that uh, a couple of days ago. Um, so they are always going to fight. I, I always tell my clients, let's be prepared for a fight. Uh, you have to be emotionally strong. You have to have a support network because these cases are hard and they're going to come after you. They're going to come after me. But as long as you keep your eye on the ball and stay focused, we're going to do this. And they take forever. And I think a lot of people, you know, listen, everyone wants immediate results, right? And you just, you have to buckle up for the long haul. Yes, it takes so long. So I, you know, it takes years and years and years. And that's why so many people settle. And, you know, people who don't understand the system will sometimes criticize victims for entering into settlements. But very few people have the emotional strength to fight for years and years and years, a sexual assault case. Imagine having to tell the most horrific experience of your life and then months and months pass. And then you have to tell it again and your attorney's reaching out to you. And maybe you get to a good place in your life. And then it all comes spiraling back when you have a hearing and another hearing and then a court date, and then it gets put off. I mean, it's very, very difficult for people. And you're right, the delay is probably the hardest part. Yeah, I, I, I could imagine. What about like when you started out, I mean, you know, you went to, I think, the best law school in the country, Yale. I mean, hello, I people. So I mean, really, I I am from that area in Connecticut. I did not get into Yale, but I've moved on. But I think it really is the best. You know, that and then, like, starting out in New York, like, did you have added pressure just because, like, you came from a family where there was already, like, a legal name, like, from, like, law school professors or, like, even in, like, your early career in New York? Was that added? Or I- did you add it on yourself? I always added it on myself. I always had just very high standards for myself. I was always self-motivated. My mom never pressured me. Uh, When I was in college, I joined the debate team. We ultimately won the national championship and I was the top speaker in the country. And I did that because I was just very competitive. Once I do something, I want to win. What do I have to do to win? What mistakes am I going to make that I can learn from so that next week I can be better? You know, that's just my personality. And I I got into Yale. I was very excited. It was the number one law school in the country at the time. I think it still is. And I was surrounded by super smart people where, you know, I was just one of lots of people uh, who were overachievers. That was a very cool experience. I really loved my years at Yale Law School. I've loved, gone back to a couple of reunions and I'm again surrounded by all these smart people. And I'm, I remember, oh yeah, that's what this was like. <laughs> this is so cool. So I've always been very self-motivated. Once I'm in something, you know, I want to do it to the best of my ability. Are you a Sally's pizza or a Pepe's pizza person? <laughs> um, I would say Pepe's, but I am now vegan and have been for many years. So probably neither unless they have a vegan pizza, which maybe they do. I don't know. I know you were <laughs> vegan back before it was cool to be vegan. <laughs> well, I've been, been vegan forever. Yeah, I've been vegetarian since I was 16. So when I was at Yale, I was a vegetarian, which means I still ate cheese. And uh, I definitely ate a lot of pizza. There was a place called Est 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 on Chapel Street. That's the one I went to because they didn't have long lines and it was a short walk from my apartment and it was delicious. So I remember that vividly. (laughs) That That was a good one too. 
Anyone who listens to this podcast knows that I make decisions based on what is good for me, not everyone else. I live my life unapologetically and authentically as myself. And that is why when it came time to lose weight, the only thing that worked for me was Noom. What I loved about Noom is that they don't label foods good or bad, foods permitted and foods that are never permitted. They take a psychology-based approach and rather than focus on the food, they focus on why we make the choices that we do. Noom has helped me break so many bad habits, particularly with sugar. I love sugar candy, Skittles, Swedish Fish, Starburst, you name it, I love it. Rather than just say those foods weren't allowed, Noom helped me understand why I have these cravings, especially at certain times of the day. And slowly I started to change these habits. I crave sugar less, I shopped better. Noom, I cannot recommend enough. The app is so easy to use also. And what I love best is it only takes 10 minutes of your time a day, just 10 minutes. So start building better habits for healthier long-term results. You can sign up for this trial at noom.com slash velvet. That's right. By listening to this podcast, you too get to try Noom. You can sign up for your trial at noom.com slash velvet. And Noom is N O. O-M, noom.com slash velvet. Go there, sign up for your trial and let me know how it works out for you guys. It's great and it has really helped me. So after your career in New York, your brief career, I know that you moved to LA and you were a legal analyst on many of our favorite news programs. You had your own show on Court TV. You wrote a book, Think, Straight Talk for Women to Stay Smart in a Dumbed Down World. And then you started your own agency, the Bloom Firm. So we have, you've done many high profile cases. Let's talk about the Jeffrey Epstein, which you mentioned. What can you tell us about that case? So, yeah, and I wrote three books, by the way. And my most recent one was about the Trayvon Martin case, which is called Suspicion Nation. And I I really like writing books, but it does take a lot out of me. Um, The Jeffrey Epstein cases. So I represent eight women who allege that Jeffrey Epstein sexually assaulted them. Each story is horrific. They, it's just heartbreaking. And my clients are very traumatized. Some of them suicidal, really emotionally devastated. After Jeffrey Epstein died, the state set up uh, a victim compensation fund and the attorneys in my law firm and me fought very hard to have certain safeguards for the victims with that compensation fund. One of them was that the statute of limitations would not be a barrier to victims getting compensation. So for the non-lawyers listening, the statute of limitations are the time deadlines that people have to file by. And really they're every predator's best friend, because if you can just run out the clock, then victims can't get justice. So they're a real problem. And many, many, many people come to me, I'd say every week, and I have to tell them their cases are time barred and we can't help them. And it's really heartbreaking because it takes a long time to be able to acknowledge sexual assault and come forward. So, however, we did have, so we had these eight women and we fought for them and we did just a massive deep dive into each one of their cases, which is how we we work at the Bloom Firm. We are very thorough and detailed and in-depth. So we got declarations and evidence and talked to their therapists and medical providers and just went through everything as carefully as we could and put together these presentations. And then we had interviews with the claims administrators and really had our clients tell their stories like a direct examination at trial, 
and, and took them through the whole process. Each one of them was very scared and each one of them did beautifully in their interview. I'm a big believer that we can stand up. We can do the hard things. You know, my clients are often say, I couldn't, I could never go to court. I could never testify. I'll admit it. As important as it is for me to eat healthy and put the right nutrients into my body and hydrate, I'm really not great at it. I'm always on the go. I'm never making that a priority. And I'm always hungry. This was a real problem until I discovered 310 Nutrition. I love 310 Nutrition's water hydrators. You just add them to water and they make your water taste so much better. They also have refreshing lemonade mixes. My personal favorite, they're all in one shakes. I love their caramel sundae, their vanilla cake, the shamrock cream. I drink one of these shakes and it totally satisfies my hunger. They're low in fat and low carbs, which I love. They also satisfy my carb craving. But don't take my word for it. Right now, 310 is celebrating a new year of goals with code VELVETROPE and giving our listeners 50% off up to $100 off your first order. With so many sample packs, new products, it's really fun and it's easy to put together an order or start a subscription on products you know you'll use. Go to 310nutrition.com and use the code VELVETROPE right now for 50% up to $100 for your first order. That's 310nutrition.com and use code VELVETROPE. And I say, yes, you could. Yes, you could. And you're going to. And it's not going to be as bad as the trauma that you endured. It's not as bad. It's just talking about it. You can do it. And we shore them up. We teach them how to do it. We get them prepared. And after they do it, they feel very proud and they feel empowered. And I always feel like regardless of the outcome, I hope that we get them a lot of compensation because I believe in that. But even if not, they've done something that's very important and empowering in their lives. Yeah, I would feel like just the testifying alone must be some closure after all these years. Right. So I use the word catharsis instead of closure because closure, we all wish closure for for folks, but it's not, it doesn't ever really go away. I like to say that sexual abuse kind of recedes into the rearview mirror of your memory. You don't ever forget it. You don't ever get to close that door entirely, but it becomes just a thing that happened to you in your past. And the things that you do today are what defines you, your accomplishments, your dreams, your goals, how you treat people. That's what defines you, not the sexual abuse. And so if you can get compensation, uh, which is what we fight for, for our clients, it, it really does help. It does help in a cathartic way. Why do you think, because I mean, even in like the Janice Dickinson case, like I know you've spoken out, like you even said it here, like, you know, that it was just like a settlement of epic proportions. And then we'll talk about Janice in a second. Like, why do you think, like, is that such a, I mean, you're not afraid to say it. Like, why do you think, you know, like, I guess a lot of victims and even lawyers, I think are just afraid to say like, I want compensation. Like, these are awful things that happened. You can't go back and take them back. Like, why do you think that is like the psychology that people aren't just, I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. You've had these awful things happen. So if you were crossing the street, David, and you got hit by a car, God forbid, and you broke your leg, nobody would say there's anything wrong with you getting compensation for your injuries to compensate you for your medical bills, your lost income, your pain and suffering. But the cases that I do are almost entirely about psychological injuries. And that's something that I think as a culture, we're getting better on the issue of mental health. People are speaking out more about mental health and I applaud everybody who does that. But these are invisible injuries. And it's my job as the attorney for people with psychological injuries to explain to a jury or a mediator or opposing counsel, 
what those injuries are. Sexual assault causes very profound lifelong psychological injuries, mostly post-traumatic stress, anxiety, and depression, a lot of sexual dysfunction. A lot of women's careers are derailed because they were sexually assaulted. And they just, for a lot of my clients are models and they just couldn't model anymore because models have to be so confident in their bodies. And after sexual assault, they just want to wear baggy, dark clothing. So it's our job to explain it. And I don't apologize for asking for compensation. You know, compensation, the only people who say money doesn't matter are people who have a lot of it. For everybody else, paying the rent, paying for therapy, putting the kids through school, taking a little time off, you know, that makes a big difference. And when yeah. we've gotten very significant settlements for many, many clients, they always write to me afterwards. And some of my favorite cards and letters are my clients telling me what they've done with their settlements. Oh, Lisa, I got out of this job that I always hated and I'm starting a new career of what I always wanted to do. I paid off my student loans. I went back to school. I'm getting really intensive therapy that I could never afford before, you know, Money makes a big difference, and I'm proud to fight for it for my clients. Yeah, I would think so. What about Bill O'Reilly? Let's talk about that. I mean, to me, well, tell me about that case. Sure. So Bill O'Reilly, I'm pleased that a lot of people don't know who he is anymore. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. The greatest victory. He used to have the number one show on cable news on Fox News, where he was very viciously right wing and racist, in my opinion. And he was accused of sexually harassing a group of women, and they had all signed NDAs, non-disclosure agreements. So my friend and client, Wendy Walsh, came to me and said, there's a New York Times reporter who was doing a story about him. And she wants me to go on the record because none of the other women can. And I was sexually harassed by him, but all my friends say I shouldn't do it. What do you think, Lisa? And I said, Wendy, what do you think I'm going to tell you? You need to do this. And I will She said, well, what if he sues me? I said, I will represent you for free because this has been going on for too long. I'll defend you in a defamation case if it comes to that. And stick with me. Not only are you going to speak out about this, but we're going to take him down. And I have a plan in place for how we're going to do that. We have a media and legal strategy to take him down. And to short version is that's exactly what we did. We had a press conference. We kept the story in the news. We drew out other accusers. We vetted their claims. I kept coming out with one after the other. I said uh, publicly many times, including on Twitter and on television, uh, I'm going to keep at this. I'm going to represent all all the victims for free until he is fired. He has got to go. And three weeks later, they fired him and he was out. Then he sued a guy who was the boyfriend of one of the victims for defamation because the guy posted on Facebook that he believed the women. I represented that guy, Michael Panter, and we got Bill O'Reilly to dismiss all the charges. So I would say I'm, I'm 2-0 and against Bill O'Reilly. He hates my guts on his podcast and on his Twitter. You know, he runs negative things about me whenever you can think of something. Uh, but that's fine. I'm still kicking. I still have my job. And he does not. No, he does not. I mean, and now, because of course, like now, and you know, it's only three years later, it's like, okay, well, that's obvious. But I remember back like in 2017, it wasn't, it was a big deal. You know, yes, it was a different time as crazy as that is just three years ago. So I mean, like, is the mentality changing now? And like, you know, to your point, like it takes a really long time to come forward. Like, you know, sometimes if you've been violated, like, do you see that changing just because of the world we live in or not necessarily? I think things are changing. I think the Me Too movement is a very powerful, positive thing. 
I know a lot of men in response to the Me Too movement said, wow, I had no idea how widespread sexual harassment and sexual assault are. I knew that it happened, but I didn't know because so many women kind of came out of the closet and posted about it on social media and talked about it. So I think there was really a consciousness raising. Uh, most of the women I know have said, yeah, we, you know, we already knew this <laughs> because we talk about it amongst each other. And of course, I want to emphasize it's not just women who are sexually assaulted. I represent five models, male models against Bruce Weber. Uh, I've represented you know, a lot of men in sexual misconduct cases as well. Um, but it is primarily women. It's more, there are more women than men who are victims. Right. And aren't you involved in the Alexander Wang case too now? Yes. Yes. So I, I think that, you know, this is a topic, you know, for example, with me too, when I was picking a jury recently, I would say to the jury pool, the big group that's assembled, how many of you have heard of me too? And almost everybody raised their hands. How many of you think it's a positive thing? Almost everybody raised their hands, you know, and the defense attorney, when it was her turn said, well, you know, don't some of you think it's gone too far? And they all just kind of crossed their arms and stared at her. You know, I think that's the attitude, at least here in Los Angeles. So that's a very positive thing. That is positive. So let's talk about Janice Dickinson. I had the pleasure of having her on this very podcast. You did. Love Janice. Beyond, beyond, beyond love. <laughs> I've loved Janice for, I mean, for so many reasons. Just listen, I'm a self-respecting gay man. So I, I mean, yes. it's obvious. Let's you just start. Love her then. You don't have a choice. Let's just start with that. So tell <laughs> us about the Janice Dickinson case against Bill Cosby. So uh, Janice went on CNN and said, Bill Cosby drugged and raped me back in the 80s. She said this in, I think it was 2015. I saw it. I was very moved. Then I saw the next day that Bill Cosby's attorney came out and called her a liar. And I thought to myself, aha, she couldn't sue him for the sexual assault because it's time barred. But now she might have a claim for defamation because now this is a brand new thing that's happened, calling her a liar. And so I did a little research. It confirmed what I thought that she could bring this case. And then I went on CNN and said, I think Janice Dickinson has a good case for defamation. And I hope she calls me. And she did. <laughs> that was the case of like casting the net out there in the world and out back came Janice Dickinson. So we knew it was a tough case though. I thought she had a claim but I wanted to set it up just right. I asked uh, Bill Cosby's attorneys to retract and uh, all kinds of things to kind of set it up very nicely for her. Janice, at the beginning, I think she would tell you she was pretty anxious and scared. Uh, and in the four years that we did the case, she got stronger. It also helped that she married Rocky, who was a wonderful man. And uh, she always credits him with helping her stay sane. Um, but I also think just fighting through the case and being strong, it is good. You know, doing hard things is good. It builds character, builds strength. And by the end, uh, you know, I'll never forget the press conference we had when we announced that we got this epic settlement. I'm not allowed to say how much it is, but I'm allowed to say anything else I want. We're allowed to talk about the case and the claims and the fact that there was a settlement. So only the amount is confidential. Uh, but it was life-changing money for her and she deserved it. It was a great victory. And I remember we had a press conference and I gave her a big bouquet of flowers and we were so, so happy. And, you know, 
Janice is such a role model for, for models. Models go through hell. So many of them are sexually assaulted. And the fact that she stood up and did this, I think has inspired a lot of people. I didn't know that that's how I thought she came to you. I didn't realize that you just <laughs> put it out there to the universe and it came back to you. I did. I really did. I really wanted to do this case. I thought it was different. I thought it was groundbreaking. Um, and like I said, we got two reported decisions. Janice likes to call those Janice's law. And those decisions will help other rape victims if people call them liars. What is it like, you know, month to month, week to week working with Janice Dickinson? I mean, again, <laughs> I've, I've chatted with her for almost two hours here. And it's, yeah. uh, we've all she- seen Janice in the media. Janice is very high energy. She tells it like it is. If she would walk into my office and not, she didn't like what I was wearing, she would tell me. And you know what? She was right. <laughs> I'm not a fashionista. You know, I'm a kind of more of a life of the mind person. I like to read. I like to think. And sometimes, you know, I, I don't have the most high fashion outfit on. Um, so I, she's a doll, though. She really she has such a heart of gold. She really cares about people. Uh, she never wavered in her story. It's a horrific story about what Bill Cosby did to her. By the way, she testified in his criminal case in Pennsylvania. There were, I think, five Me Too witnesses, prior victims who were allowed to testify. She was one of them. We prepared her extensively for that. I went out to Pennsylvania with her. I remember we had to wait. First day, they didn't call her. Second day, they didn't call her. Third day, they didn't call her. That's what it's like being a witness. You have to just wait. Wow. And then it was the fourth day. Uh, they called her and, you know, she rose to the occasion. She was amazing. And, you know, when she walked out, there was an AP photographer, you know, and Janice was exhausted. But as soon as that camera points at her, she's still the pro. She's still the superman. She, you know, carries herself with this grace. And they took a great picture of her. I asked her one time, you know, Janice, now that everybody gets their picture taken all the time, what do I need to know about posing for picture? I figure I'll ask you the world's first supermodel, right? She gave me very good advice. She said, know which is your best side, find the light and sit up straight or stand up straight and exude a lot of confidence. So I try, I try to follow that. I, I'm never going to be Janice Dickinson. That's for sure. But I try to follow that. <laughs> no, but I have you here. So I'm picking your, I mean, you had access to all that. Like you might as well take advantage of it. Right? <laughs> And I love how she comes in for like a serious legal meeting and she's deciding to criticize you on what you're wearing. (laughs) Yeah. That's really funny. What is it? I mean, is it just the obvious because like we talked about like, you know, people, it takes a long time to come forward sometimes. Like, you know, again, like you look at Janice, she is very outspoken in everything she does. She doesn't hold back. She'll tell you she doesn't like how you're dressed, you know, but yet- it takes this long to kind of come forward with something. And I'm not judging that. I'm just saying like, what is the psychology? Is it the obvious, just like the fear, the shame? Yes. Not wanting to relive it, all of the obvious. So this is something I have to explain all the time in all of my cases. And I think the leading expert on this is a psychologist named Dr. Barbara Ziv, Z-I-V. In fact, she testified for the prosecution in the Bill Cosby case. And she has exhaustively looked at all of the research about sexual assault, especially when it's from an intimate partner, somebody you know, and somebody high profile. And she has found that the vast majority, I think it's like 90%, will not report it for a long time, months, probably years. And in fact, just about everybody will continue the relationship with the perpetrator. 
This is something that people who don't understand the research just don't get. You know, I have cases where my clients will send a friendly text or a friendly email afterwards, even want to get together with the guy again. And the defense always wants to use that to say, see, she wasn't sexually assaulted. It was consensual. But that's not what that shows at all. There's a response that's called fawning. So most people know that in response to trauma, there's fight or flight. Most people have heard of that, but those are actually the typical male responses to trauma that's like physical violence. But when it's sexual assault and especially female victims, it's fight, flight, or freeze. Freeze is the most common response. And then the fourth F is fawning. And fawning is continuing to try to have a good relationship with the perpetrator afterwards. If you think about a dog that gets kicked, okay? I have dogs. Accidentally, you know, occasionally they're underfoot. I might step on them, right? What does my dog do? She doesn't bite me. She'll fawn. She'll be like, oh my God, I'm sorry. It's my fault, right? And almost like suck up to me more, right? That's kind of the fawning response. And that's why so many victims will continue to have that relationship. So they don't report. There are many victims who will take their trauma to their graves and never tell anyone. There's others who will take 20 or 30 years. In the case of Janice Dickinson, thank goodness, she did tell a number of people close to her at the time in the 1980s and in the 1990s. Those people remembered that before I even filed the case, and this is what we always do, we talk to all of the witnesses. I want to talk to them first before the defense has a chance at them. Right. And people remembered before the first woman ever came out against Bill Cosby in the 2000s, Janice told them that he had drugged and raped her. And those declarations were very powerful and they were an important part of the case. Yeah. Wow. I mean, like she told them that when it happened. Yes. Wow. What about the Misha Barton revenge porn case? That was ahead of its time. Right. So, I mean, I never heard that term really before until you, and now I hear it all the time. Yes. So for those who don't know, you know, revenge porn is posting or sharing explicit images without the consent of the person, you know, naked pictures, sexual videos, and it doesn't matter how they were obtained. They could have been obtained consensually. Many people send naked pictures, allow somebody to record them having sex, but you still can't post or share them without the consent of the person who's in there. So Misha Barton is a celebrity, very beautiful actress. And she came to me very upset because somebody was shopping around images of her. She didn't even know how they had been obtained. She thinks that a boyfriend surreptitiously recorded her. So we had to move quickly. And what we did was something that I don't know anybody else has done, which is we went in for a domestic violence restraining order. And we argued that taking of these images was a form of domestic abuse. Uh, We did that. We tried that because you can do it very quickly. If you came to me today, David, with the problem I could go into court tomorrow for the DVRO, the domestic violence restraining order. We can move that quickly. As you pointed out, generally the legal system moves very, very slowly. You know, Misha didn't have time to file a lawsuit, fight it out for years, get to a jury trial in three years. You know, meanwhile, these images would be out there and we would have lost, you know, the whole point of what we were doing. So we went in for the DVRO. I explained to the judge, this is a form of domestic abuse. It's not hitting, it's not a sexual assault. It's not even a verbal assault. It's a different kind. It's a cyber assault, but it's very real. And we presented all the evidence and the judge, thank goodness, agreed with us and immediately issued a sweeping order that nobody had the right to distribute these images. And if they did, they'd be in violation of this court order. 
then, you know, since we didn't know who was shopping these around, um, we had to kind of give notice to the whole world about it. So we had a press conference and we announced to the world that we had this order and anybody who was distributing these images, we would hold them accountable. Well, we fought it out for a few more months. We had another hearing and another hearing. Misha very bravely appeared at all the hearings. And eventually we were able to completely prevent those images from ever being distributed. It was a big, big, big victory. Wow. One that I'm proud of. Yeah. What about, I mean, you know, you were famously involved with Harvey Weinstein. I know on your website, you call it the colossal mistake, which, you know, you owned up to it on your website. So tell me about that. Well, and I've owned up to it many times in many interviews and because that's all you can do when you make a mistake, right? Is own it. Totally. So at the time, uh, 2017, 2016 and earlier, my law practice was about 95% victim side and about 5% of people who were accused. And there were many accused people who have come to me over the years and they said, you know, I'm falsely accused or this is overblown and will you help me? And I looked at the evidence and I said, yeah, I'll help you. And, you know, the prior cases I had done had all gone fine. So this film producer who most people had barely heard of comes to me at the end of 2016 and says, no, but no women have come out and accused me, but there are media outlets who are asking questions. Will you help me? So I did a deep dive at the time. I discovered that President Obama had sent his daughter, Malia, to go intern for him. You know, he's having dinner with Hillary Clinton. There was the Manhattan DA had looked into a case and completely dismissed it. And there were some investigative reports that I reviewed. And I thought, yeah, this guy is, he, at the time, he was only accused of verbal misconduct. And uh, frankly, I spoke to him a lot. And he was willing to do an apology for the verbal misconduct. And at the end, months later, that is what he did, which I thought was great. And then the next day, a woman went on the record and accused him of sexual assault. And that was enough for me to say, I'm out. This is not what I'm here for. I'm not going to be defending you against a sexual assault accuser who's very credible. And I withdrew. And then another woman and another woman and another woman and these harrowing stories of sexual assault. And I just was so mortified that I was ever associated with this monster. I was duped just like the Obamas were duped and everybody who hundreds of good people who worked with him were duped. And, uh, you know, I will, I will always regret that, but you know, I, I can't, I can only know what's knowable at the time. Uh, I spent a lot of time beating myself up about it. Um, but ultimately, you know, my clients stayed with me. I've, one of the things I'll tell you about is I did learn a lot about the mind of a predator that I have used, I think in the cases that I do now, I know how these guys think. I know that they really convinced themselves. They didn't do it. They convinced, they can be very convincing to people who are around them. Um, because my clients now often say to me, you know, how do these people around him all stay with, you know, about other guys that I'm suing, right? Yeah. I say, because these guys can be very convincing. So I did learn a lot from the experience. Is it, how do you deal with the right? Cause there was a lot, you know, put out there, you know, everyone wants to talk and it became a big thing. We all do things. We move on in life. 
which leads me into like the same thing, like, you know, with Kathy Griffin, like, I know you guys were involved briefly. And then that, you know, after her bloody Trump head, and then that ended. And then Kathy was very vocal about the fallout of your relationship and had some choice words. So, you know, what can I say? There's people who are going to come after me for Harvey Weinstein. You know, the right always has hated me. Fox News hated me ever since I took down Bill O'Reilly. Fox News ran a lot of negative articles about me. And then some people on the left came after me, you know, and it's like, well, I, I get it from all sides. But, you know, I, I'm, I'm not in this to win a popularity contest. I'm in this to win for my clients. Uh, I take great pride in the fact that on all of the client review sites like Avvo, AVVO, and elsewhere, I have many, many five-star reviews. I just won an award on the Avvo site for such a high number of five-star reviews from clients. They send me beautiful cards and letters, and I know that what I'm doing is right. There's when you have hundreds of clients a year, there's always going to be a you know one or two who are not happy. With Kathy Kathy Griffin, I really felt for her. I believed in her. I knew her prior to that bloody head thing. I reached out to her just to say, I hope you're okay. I didn't really didn't think I was going to be representing her, but she said, you know, can you come over? Of, of course. And we had a press conference where. We had very carefully gone over, you know, what she was going to say, as I always prepare my clients. And then you can see in the video of the press conference, she's got her notes and she says, I'm not going to read this. And she puts it aside. I'm just going to talk. And I, you can see me standing next to her with kind of a smile pasted on my face. (laughs) Like, uh uh-oh. And then she just did what she wanted to do. Uh, you know, I support people speaking out and saying what they want to say, but it it went badly for her. And she got a lot of hostility and a lot of negativity. I think it would have been better if she had done the bullet points that we had gone over. Um, then she got angry with me because the press conference didn't go well. And she lashed out at me. She lashed out at like Sharon Stone, who also had reached out to her to say, are you okay? She lashed out at a lot of people who were trying to help her. So all I can say is, I've always thought Kathy Griffin was very funny and very talented. Uh, I still think she's one of the funniest people around and I wish her nothing but the best. If there's a press conference and your lawyer tells you what to say, (laughs) let me tell you people, you just read it as close to what is written as possible. You know, I mean, we had worked it out together. It wasn't just what I said, but yes, uh, you know, there, it's funny sometimes when people hire lawyers and then don't want to follow my advice. I'm like, well, okay. <laughs> Why am I here then? Right. Every time I've hired a lawyer, I'm like, this is what I think, but by all means, please tell me what you think. And I'm willing, I'm a very reasonable person. And this is why I've hired you. Right. So I get it. What about, let's talk about some current cases that are going on in the world today. So I have to start with the obvious. I know that this is not your area of special specialty, but Britney Spears and her conservatorship. I have to start there. You know, I think I I saw the documentary. I thought it was very touching. And it is very disturbing to me that Britney has this conservatorship that's so narrowly, you know, so tight, even if she's got mental health issues, you know, as a lot of people do and a lot of artists do. Surely, you know, the restrictions on her can be loosened to some extent. She can be allowed to have more of a normal life. Um, but there's so much secrecy around it. Um, you know, I, I really don't know, but I, I am concerned about the situation. Would you represent Brittany if she called you? Yeah, 
Sure, I'd be very happy to. I mean, is it likely that she would get out of this? Like, I mean, because I've, I mean, again, I don't know, but aren't conservatorships just so hard to get out of? Or well, you're Lisa Bloom and you would find a way. <laughs> uh I don't think it should be that hard to get out of, frankly. I think it's a high standard to keep a conservatorship on somebody. I mean, they really have to be incapable of managing their own affairs. You know, here's a woman who does sold-out stadium shows. She seems very competent. Um, It's a pretty tough standard, and I don't know if they can continue to meet it if there was really a strong challenge to it. And it's many years later. Like I think she's like 40 conservatorships are not really meant for a 40 year old woman. I don't think. Right. Right. Who really seems to be able to manage her own life. Well, maybe now that we put it out in the world, maybe she will call you. (laughs) Maybe we'll see David. Listen, if that's the case, you don't even have to just like 1% of your, of your earnings or fees or whatever. Just for, just remember you heard it here first, Lisa. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) What about Erica Jane and Tom Girardi? They're divorced. The claims. So, you know, I had lunch with Tom Girardi a couple times right before the pandemic. Um, We met through a mutual friend at a lawyer's event. I thought, oh, what a legend, Tom Girardi. I'd be so honored to have lunch with him. And I did. And he was very friendly and warm. And, you know, what a shock this whole story has been. And he's taken a tremendous fall. He's accused of taking money from clients. And that's one of the biggest um, crimes that a lawyer can commit. You know, we have so many rules about how we have to handle clients' money. Yeah. And uh, just is so shocking to me. So I hope the clients get justice because they deserve it. And just a shocking situation. It is shocking. What about, you know, now there's his conservatorship and claims of all timers. It just seems, and now this divorce, it just seems a lot of, I don't know, maybe I'm just skeptical that it's all real, like that there's a real divorce. And that's a healthy skepticism, David, you should always hold on to that. Yes, I agree. I mean, look, doctors will testify about whether he has Alzheimer's, even at the early stages of Alzheimer's, most people have lucid moments and then moments where they're less clear. So he still should be able to testify to some extent, I would think. I mean, of course, I don't know. And yes, the divorce, that does seem a little fishy. Are they separating assets? I think everybody's going to be looking at her assets too because they were married at the time that the money was allegedly stolen. And I just read this like yesterday. Now, I guess, because the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills is back like now, tonight, that apparently they're going to be watching and transcribing. I mean, I don't know how it's all going to take place, but I guess- I mean, going on a reality show, I mean, you're opening yourself up. Like I heard that they're going to be like watching every dollar she spends yeah. on cameras. And I mean, the Bravo, the unaired footage is you could subpoena that right in a lawsuit. Absolutely. You sure can. So they can find out everything that they say. You're correct. Wow. What about Kesha and Dr. Luke? Ugh, what a heartbreaking story that is. Right? It is. You know, I, I can, of course, I don't you know, know the details of the case, but I can tell you that in general, I think the music industry, along with the fashion industry, these are some of the most toxic industries for women. There is so much abuse of women. I have had many, many women come to me about prominent people in the music industry and the fashion industry, sexually assaulting them, exploiting them. It's like these industries just think they're above it all, that the law doesn't apply to them, you know, 
they're so glamorous and it, it's, it's terrible. So I hope that Kesha gets justice. I think she's a lovely woman. I met her at an animal rights event a couple of years ago. I mean, just a lovely, lovely person. Yeah. I mean, I would think those industries and then especially like when people are starting out in their careers and just the desire to make it in your career and uh, yeah. Yeah. What about Johnny Depp and Amber Heard? I mean, we hear so much about that these days. So, uh, yeah, I don't know the details of that one. I think she, I think that case was settled, wasn't it? And she seems to me to be a great activist for women now. Yeah. And I think it just, something was, he sued the sons because they called him a wife beater and he was claiming defamation and actually he lost just like recently. It was either thrown out of court or something. It's, but I know she was celebrating. You know, these defamation cases against victims are very difficult. I've, I have Steve Wynn who has sued me for defamation and we've been fighting that case for two years because I did a press release about sexual harassment and it's, uh, I have to advise clients a lot when they're about to speak out, you know, you could get sued for defamation and it stops a lot of people from speaking out. So I'm glad to hear that he lost that case. And I applaud Amber Heard for being such a powerful voice for victims. It must be hard to speak out, you know, when you're like with a Johnny Depp and you think you have the backing of everyone, you know, like a beloved Hollywood star. Absolutely. What about, so what about like speaking of tabloids, like Meghan Markle? I mean, she has sued tabloids overseas. Now she's here. There's all these rumors that if this keeps going here, who knows what's going to come next? Yeah. I, you know, I was so moved by that interview that she did with Oprah, especially talking about mental health and feeling suicidal. And I think I saw a trailer for a documentary that they are doing with Oprah now that more broadly about mental health. So I hope she continues to stand up for herself. It's not right when people publish lies about you. And I think she's doing a very powerful thing in the world by talking about her mental health issues. What about, this is my last question as far as that, but then I have one more question. What about Sydney Chase, who is being represented by your mother and Tristan Thompson? And of course, the Kardashians are in the news. You know, of course, this is in the news because of Chloe. What do we think of all of that? Well, so of course, I don't know the details of that one, but I can tell you that if my mom's representing her, then she probably has good evidence and corroboration and support of her claims. And of course, I'm always going to be on my mom's side. So go well, that ma- well, that makes sense. <laughs> Before we wrap up, I know you work. We just mentioned all of the brilliant judgments you've had, but what does Lisa Bloom do for fun? Um, A lot of outdoorsy stuff, hiking, camping, backpacking. I'm really entranced with the Pacific Crest Trail, which is a 2,600 mile trail from Mexico to Canada that goes through California, Oregon, and Washington. I'm going to do my first week on the PCT pretty soon. Uh, I do a lot of just getting outside, breathing fresh air, looking at the trees and the birds and the animals. That's my happy place. That's your happy place. And what about, you know, you represent these people, all these huge names. Of course, it's professional. You have a job to do. You're there. It's not about you. It's for the victims and their rights and winning these huge judgments. But do you ever get starstruck? I mean, you know, like when it's over, like you win this judgment for Janice, like someone like when it's over, whoever it is, can you say like, oh, my God, like I'm starstruck or, you know, you travel in certain circles. Like, have you ever met someone like a share or someone huge where you're just like, I am blown away. So years ago, I met Moby, the musician, and I was starstruck because I was a huge fan of his music. 
And he, like me, is also an animal rights activist and vegan. We became, we talked for about three hours that night and we became very good friends and we've been good. There's my dog. And we've been good friends ever since. Um, I would say I'm still a little starstruck that I get to be friends with Moby because he's such a champ in my book. That's a big one. Well, listen, I think when people see that you're the lawyer on the other side of it, I think they run for the hills as well. So when we started and I said, you're an icon in the field, I truly meant that this isn't me kissing up to you. It is, you're very busy. I truly appreciate you taking your time. Where can everyone find you online and like the Bloom Firm in case they need representation? Thank you, David. So uh, my law firm is The Bloom Firm. We are at thebloomfirm.com. And that's the great place to reach out to us through the contact page. If you are a witness in any of our cases, we want to talk to you. If you have a potential case, feel free to reach out to us. It's always free and confidential, and we're happy to consult with you. I'm very active on Twitter, Lisa Bloom, and on Instagram, Lisa Bloom-esque. So you can also connect with me there. Thank you so much, David. You're very kind, and I appreciate the interview. Thank you. Keep in touch. Thank you very much. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to yet another episode of Behind the Velvet Rope. Because without you listeners, I would just be a crazy person with voices in my head. And if you like what you hear, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe on Apple Podcasts under Behind the Velvet Rope. And when you're done subscribing, feel free to leave a five-star write-up review. Because the write-up reviews actually count. We read each and every one of them. We post the best ones. And the reviews really help our shows keep going. And we really appreciate everything you guys say, especially the positive ones. And if you want to find us online, we're at Behind Velvet Rope on Instagram. We are at David Yontef on Instagram. We're Behind The Velvet Rope on Apple Podcasts. Or head on over to Patreon, because you know what? There are just some things we can't talk about here. So for our bonus episodes, go to Patreon and type in Behind the Velvet Rope. And if you still aren't sick of me and you want more David, go to Cameo and book me on Cameo. And you can ask me anything there. I'll answer whatever you want. And I have a bargain basement price of $10. Thank you, guys. See you soon.